O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to an inhabited town. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way until they reached an inhabited town. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For the Lord satisfies the thirsty and the hungry he fills with good things. This is the word of the Lord. In August every year, I'm working on sermon titles for the next year. I try to be sure the Penseras have text and titles for the sermons I'll be preaching next year, three months before we get to Advent. So there's that much lead time to get anthems chosen and prepared and hymns picked out and so on. This time last year, I was working on the sermon titles for this year, including this Sunday, and I was remembering that all during July, one of the leading jewelry chains in this city talks about Christmas in July. How about a ring? How about a bracelet? How about a necklace? Have a Christmas in July. I was wondering if they would do it this year. They did it again this year. Ten days ago, I was in Dallas helping elect three new bishops. And early one morning, I was shaving, getting ready to go to my first meeting, and there on Dallas television, a different chain entirely was advertising Christmas in July. But this ancient poet, whose work we read together a few minutes ago, is asking us, how about Thanksgiving in July and August and September and October and November and December? How about Thanksgiving all the time. There are four things here I think we need to mention. Number one, they cried to the Lord in their distress. Now, Dr. Hans Joachim Krauss, Dr. Arthur Weiser, and Dr. McClinton, uh, Clinton McCann all agree that there are different elements in this particular poem. Some of the words and phrases are very old may go back as far as 3,000 years. Some of the words, some of the phrases, some of the ideas are more recent than that, probably written at least 400 years after some of the oldest words, which means that parts of this psalm were probably written about that 40-year trek through the wilderness when Moses was leading the people watering hole to watering hole, grazing land to grazing land. But other portions of this one poem also seem to be alluding to the stay in Babylon. The stay in Babylon 50 years, finally then to be released. To get home again, they had to go 500 miles northwest and then turn south and go 400 more miles. They were 900 miles from home. Uh, trying to find one's way, when one has older people, younger people, babies, little children, that's a long, long way. So all people have needs. All people come to moments of distress. And in those moments, this poet says, cry out to the Eye, Asher Eye, the I am who I am, 
the one who met Moses at the burning bush and the one who can and wants to hear what you have to say to him. Many of the big movies in our country have more and more special effects. I prefer movies where people talk to each other. And one of those coming out of England this year is called Boy A. Title may seem strange until you realize that it's a story about a boy who, as a little boy, killed another little boy. And because they were so young, their names were not published, but the one who did the killing was called Boy A, and the one who was murdered is called Boy B. Years have passed, and Boy A is about to be released from juvenile detention. The movie is about what happens to him next and what brought him to the point that he is when the movie begins. The social worker, the counselor who's been trying to help him all these years he's been confined, leads him out to the front gate and gives him a present, a pair of new sneakers. And he says to him, try not to look back. Try to look forward, okay? We've talked about this many times before. Try not to look back. Try to look forward. But as the movie goes on, you discover that it's a series of flashbacks. That this young man cannot leave that past behind him. And these flashbacks begin to flesh out the story for you and me. How Jack has come to the point that he is now. The Wall Street Journal reviewer said, I think those sneakers are highly significant for the telling of the story. This young man needs new sneakers if he's going to outrun all the demons that are chasing him. But at least, he wrote, there is a possibility for his redemption. A possibility. All of us have something that separates us from the love of God or that troubles us deeply in our distress. We need to cry out to the Lord. Number two, and the Lord heard them and delivered them. The Lord heard them and delivered them. Now let's be clear here. The gospel message is what Grant Carpenter was singing to us. It's about trusting and obeying. The trusting part is believing God's all-important book, that God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, that God loved you as much as he ever loved another human being. Not more than but just as much as any other human who has ever lived or lives today. He loves you. Knows your name. Cares what, what's happening to you. Wants good to come to you. But the Wesley said, in the very same moment that you hear that whisper of the Holy Spirit, you're my daughter, you're my son, I'm so glad you've come home to me, the love of God, the grace of God, begins to change the way we behave. They called it sanctification, coming from the Latin sanctus, translated into English as holy. Both words mean set apart. We are set apart now for a different kind of behavior. We're not supposed to act like all of them. 
We're supposed to act more like the one who created us, who sent his son Jesus to reveal himself to us. A few weeks ago, I was telling you about a new book written about sin, original sin. And I reminded you that about once every decade, somebody decides we need a new book, a big, complicated word about sin. And I mentioned uh, Dr. Menninger, Dr. Carl Menninger of the fame Menninger Clinic fame, a psychiatrist who was discouraged uh, with the way we Americans so quickly excuse any and every kind of behavior imaginable. Well, his daddy didn't love him, his mother didn't hug him, the teacher wasn't helpful, they weren't encouraging, and so on. And Dr. Menninger believed that we should take responsibility for what we do and how we behave. And so he wrote a big fat book called Whatever Happened to Sin? That human beings tend to be self-centered. Dr. Menninger was not only an esteemed physician, he was also a very devoted Presbyterian Christian who went to church every Sunday. And he believed that we are self-centered and as long as we're self-centered, we're never going to be well. We're never going to be whole. That in fact, the whole of Christianity is about moving God into the center. God, as we've come to know him in Jesus Christ, into the center. And when we do that and we experience the love of God, God is then saying, well, guess what? There's something else that needs to be in the center of your life, and it's other people. Not you. As long as it's all about you, then Jesus was right. If you're trying to save your life, you're losing it. If you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you shall surely find it. A person raised a hand and asked Dr. Menninger, but what if you feel you're about to have a nervous breakdown? If you feel you're about to have a nervous breakdown, what should you do? And Dr. Menninger said, Lock the door of your house, cross the railroad tracks, and do something to make life better for someone who's less fortunate than you. As long as it's about you, you will be sick. When it's about somebody else, you are on the road to getting well. Number three, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. God is good. God is not evil. God does not like evil. God is not pleased when bad things are happening to any child of his. God wants good to come to every child of his. And if any child is being mistreated, any teenager, any young adult, any middle-aged adult, any older adult, if bad things are happening, God is not happy. God is on the side of the good every time. There's a new biography out on William Wilberforce. <clears throat> I was a history major in undergraduate school, and one of my favorite professors, uh, I took every opportunity. Whatever he was teaching, I wanted to be in Dr. Davidson's class. I had another, uh, Dr. Strauss, my German professor, who also taught in the history department. And with Dr. Strauss, I had the history of Western civilization, history of Russia. With Dr. Davidson, I had history of Americas and history of England, different courses. 
I still remember a lot of that course of history of England. William Wilberforce, you remember that name? William Wilberforce, the 19, I mean the 1700s, mid-1700s. Not born of nobility. Uh, his father was a merchant in Yorkshire, a little bitty town of Hull, Hull in Yorkshire. But the father made enough money as a merchant to send his child to school. Not many got to go to school in the 1700s, but William got to go to school, and guess what? In school, he met a young man named William Pitt, the younger, who would be swept into office in his 20s, and William Wilberforce was swept into office as well. He decided to run for parliament and was elected. He had no great political party backing him, but the people from his own area did elect him and send him to parliament. And a year after he got there, he had a religious conversion. Did you see the movie Amazing Grace? If you saw that movie, you know that it's about uh, Newton, John Newton, a slave trader who had a conversion experience who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me, 1779. Five years later is when William Wilberforce had his conversion, but he really didn't have it because of John Newton and Amazing Grace. He heard an old man, 81 years old, named John Wesley preach. Wesley, who was still climbing up on the horses and riding across England to preach at crossroads of small villages at mine entrances when the coal miners came out and had to readjust their eyes to the sunlight in potato fields where the farmers stopped for a moment to eat, he preached. William Wilberforce heard John Wesley. And he said it was as if he had been walking in a dream all of his life and suddenly he saw things the way they ought to be. The slave trade, the slave trade had to go. Because Mr. Wesley not only talked about how one comes to right standing with God Almighty through the grace of God we know in Jesus Christ, but Mr. Wesley also preached about bringing scriptural holiness Across the land. Scriptural set-apartness, if you would. A whole nation of people behaving differently. People who cannot tolerate slavery. William Wilberforce proposed in Parliament that the slave trade be abolished, and he proposed it year after year after year after year. It took him 23 years before they abolished it, but it got done. It got done. God is good. God is on the side of good always every time and if we are children of God we will be on the good side doing the right things number four for his steadfast love here's the word chesed it's used more than any other in the 39 scrolls of the Hebrew scriptures to describe the very nature and heart of God chesed it's usually Translated for us, steadfast love, never-failing love, constant love. That's who God is, constant, never-failing love that just goes on forever. Never ends. God's love goes on forever. Don Richter Valparaiso recently wrote about an airplane crash back in January 1982. You remember that? It was in January, cold, icy this was Air Florida jet taking off from Washington National Airport. A lot of people were trying to get out of an ice storm, very similar to the one we had last December here in Tulsa, trying to get to Florida in the middle of January. 
ice coating the wings. The plane never could get sufficient altitude and crashed into the Potomac River. Remember that icy cold water? A helicopter pilot got there as soon as he was summoned, as soon as he could possibly get there, and he lowered down a loop. There was a man clinging to the tail of that airplane in the freezing waters of the Potomac River. But when the loop got down to him, instead of his putting it around his shoulders and under his arms, he reached as far as he could, pulled another passenger over, and put it around her arms. Around her shoulders, she was lifted up into the helicopter. The loop was lowered again. To the same men, he reached as far as he could, pulled another passenger, and put the loop under this man's arms, and he was lifted up into the helicopter. This helicopter pilot said that this went on again and again. He lowered the loop to the man holding under the tail of the plane. Every time he put it around the shoulders and under the arms of another passenger who was lifted into the helicopter, and then the pilot lowered it once more, and the man was gone. He was gone. He had slipped into the icy waters. This pilot said, the man in the water, the man in the water, I've flown into other difficult circumstances. I know that difficult circumstances bring out the worst in some and the very best in others, but I don't think I had ever seen that level of commitment in my life. But you and I have. We know that the man who could walk on the water became the man in the water who was raised above the water. We know his name. He is our Savior.